Okay, Jeff Vance, Darrell Revis. Is off the board. The New York Jets select Makai Beckton, Louisville. Pressure just makes it go all the more. I kind of like pressure a little bit. The New York Jets select. Welcome to another edition of NFL Draft Preview with the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, is it snowing in Ohio right now? Well, it's February, so it's always snowing in Ohio <laughs> uh, in February. So it's you know it's okay though because I'm locked in my office uh, working on tape, trying to you know finish these guys up, reports and all that. This is usually the time where we're getting ready to head out to Indianapolis uh, for the yeah. combine, but of course. That's not happening this year, um, so it's just going to be it's going to be a weird end of February, early March, uh, with no combine, kind of you know stuck uh, stuck here. But you know, hopefully pro days will get started here pretty quickly, and uh, you know we'll have a chance to get some numbers on these guys and learn more about them. No St. Elmo shrimp cocktail stories, no St. Elmo experience, no yeah. backdoor conversations around the different establishments in Indianapolis. This, I think as the combine week would have been coming up, you start to get the sense of man, like this is really going to be a different process. And for you, just curious, like how different is it for you evaluating players or maybe just trying to get information on players? Oh, definitely different. And you know, at the combine every year, that's, that's a big step for me because I, I get a chance to learn so much more about these players. You know, I've talked to, I talked with most of them, up to this point, but, you know, catching up on the guys that I've missed, um, uh, talking with, you know, running into scouting buddies, uh, guys around the NFL and just getting their opinion about players, uh, maybe learning about some of the medical things. Uh, so it's not having the combine and, you know, learning things after hours, uh, which is frequently how things are done um, in Indianapolis. It's, it's definitely going to be a missing piece of the puzzle that we're going to have to fill in in other ways, but it's, it's a challenge. And so it's going to make things uh, interesting as we, as we piece things together and go through the pro day process and, and try to supplement uh, what we're missing with the combine. You know, it's funny. This just came to my mind. It's almost like Indianapolis. You could say it's the NFL's little week bubble in oh, yeah. every February. And I'm using the word bubble because obviously the NBA had their bubble to complete their season. And even though, you know, it wasn't a, COVID bubble. It was definitely like the who's who of the NFL walking around the streets of Indianapolis. It's just, it's a, it's a good week for the NFL, a good week for people covering the draft, much like yourself. It's a good week for people that cover the draft for teams like me, because it's the who's who of the NFL's there. You can talk to all different people from free agency side, from the draft side. So February's combine Lucas oil at Lucas oil will be missed. Let's just leave it at that. Definitely. And, you know, to your point, it's not just the draft. It's, you know, that's where a lot of the free agent deals get starting to talk to talk about, um, you know, it, it, not supposed to, but, you know, that's where the whispers start, uh, where teams might start meeting with different people and, you know, a lot of business side uh, things get done. So it's just, it's a, it's a basically an NFL convention, um, you know, where coaches, uh, scouts, general managers, a lot of people on the business side of things, uh, everybody's there. And so to not have that this year is will definitely be missed, uh, like you said. So we just have to find a way to supplement all that information in a different way. All right. Well, with that being said, we're talking about the running backs today on this episode, and it feels like there are two consensus top two running backs. How you want to rank them is up to the evaluator. So for you, Dane, how do you rank Najee Harris and Travis Etienne? 
Yeah, that's a great way to frame it because it's not going to be a consensus, oh, this is running back one in this draft. It really comes down to what you're looking for. Uh, for me, you know, Najee Harris from Alabama is my top running back. And I never thought I would say that, you know, two, three years ago. Um, you know, this is a guy that was the top recruit, not the top running back, but the top overall recruit. Uh, when he was coming out of high school, five-star, uh, you know, big-time player. But when you watched him uh, along with, you know, uh, you know, Josh Jacobs or Damian Harris or some of these other backs that Alabama has produced, he wasn't nearly on their level in terms of vision, in terms of the ability to create. He was big, he was physical, but there's more to it. He comes back for his uh, senior season, and he steadily got better year after year after year. Uh, you see a guy that's big, but he's graceful. And he moves like a much smaller player. Uh, his decision-making, we don't talk about that nearly enough from the running back perspective. His decision-making got better and better uh, year after year. He doesn't have that home run juice. He doesn't have that big playability, uh, but he's a guy that's going to get you a lot of yards. Uh, he had more yards rushing at Alabama than anybody in that school's history, and that's pretty remarkable when you consider um, all the players that have come through that program. So, uh, his ability to skillfully toggle between patience and power is what really sold me. Uh, he maximizes each run, and he's very reliable, rusher, receiver, blocker. So for those reasons, Najee Harris comes in at number one. And if you want more of the home run hitter, uh, a guy that's going to maybe give you a little more juice, that's where Travis Etienne comes in. And there will be several teams that view Etienne as the top back in this class. Uh, averaged over seven yards per carry in his career, uh, at Clemson, which is just remarkable, uh, holds a ton of ACC records. Uh, his start-stop suddenness uh, helps create those missed tackles. He really developed as a more than more than just a screen target, but a more polished receiver down the field. Uh, and he got better in pass protection as well. So you know he can be a little bit better in terms of his feel as an inside runner, but he creates those chunk plays. Uh, he's got that acceleration, the contact balance. He's a lot tougher than he looks. So he has a chance to be, you know, an NFL starter and, you know, the upside to be a little bit more as he continues to get better as a blocker and a receiver. And so I think the best way to sum these two guys up, uh, it just it's it's using a baseball reference. You know, you're looking for more of that home run hitter uh, who might strike out a little bit, but he's got that home run power. That's Travis Etienne. He's going to give you those big plays. If you're looking for more of the, the running back with the on-base percentage, he's going to have a lot of doubles, going to get on base a lot. That's Najee Harris. He might not have that that home run power. He might not have uh, you know the, the big play potential, but he's going to do a lot with what he has. And so both these talented running backs have a chance to go in the first round, and we'll see where they ultimately end up. You know, Najee Harris had a pretty sweet hurdle in what was it, the championship? I mean, that was remarkable. First yeah. of all, I guess so Notre Dame, maybe, right? Maybe not the home, maybe not the home run hitter, but you know, it's good for good for one over the fence once in a while. Oh, he's he's a really good athlete. There's no question about that. Uh, he's very nimble. Uh, he's got that lateral quickness where he can make those strong cuts. Um, I, I don't want to make it sound like he's not an athletic player. He absolutely is. But, you know, I think, uh, you know, that play against Notre Dame, I think it was his only um, play of over 50 yards in his career. And when you consider he touched the ball over 700 times in his career at Alabama. Um, you know, he, he never ran the ball over 50 yards except for that one time. And that, that just kind of tells you he doesn't have that home run speed. But like I said, he's going to have a lot of doubles. He's going to, you know, have these 10, 12-yard gains, uh, no problem. So he's a, he's a really impressive back. I have a lot of questions in terms of each individual player. But as a 
group, those two guys, you kind of mentioned where you think they could be drafted. We've seen running backs in the past couple of years. When you think about guys like Ezekiel Elliott, Leonard Fournette in the top 10, the way that you describe the players and where you thought they were going to get drafted, it feels like these guys have a chance to crack the first round, but not necessarily first round locks today as we record the episode, which obviously could change before April. Is that correct? I think that's fair. Um, you know, last year, I remember talking with you last year about this running back class and how impressed I was with it when you have, uh, you know, J.K. Dobbins and Jonathan Taylor and Clyde Edwards-Alaire and uh, DeAndre Swift, Cam Akers, uh, and only one of them went in the first round. And that was Edwards-Alaire with the 32nd pick, the last pick in the first round. So it really comes down to the teams that are drafting in that, you know, the last half of the first round. What are they looking for? Uh, you know, do they are they in a position to draft a running back at that spot? We've seen a first-round running back uh, each of the last six years. And I think there's a good chance we extend that to seven. Uh, but we'll have to see kind of how it shakes out because they have first round talent, but actually going in the first round is obviously a, a different discussion. All right. And then I just want to talk about Harris in particular. Obviously it's probably the Alabama bias that he gets the Derrick Henry comparisons with the hair, the Jersey number, everything that you want to go there. Obviously I'm not trying to compare a college prospect to the NFL's leading rusher each of the past two seasons. But are there similarities there in terms of running style? Or is Derrick Henry more of a punisher than Najee Harris? You know, I think Henry's, he's more long-legged. So, you know, it takes him a little bit to collect and go, where I think Najee's got better footwork in terms of his ability to make cuts and be, you know, just kind of string moves together. Uh, where, yeah, Henry's more of that punisher where you're trying to get him that runway where he could just stretch out a stride and go shake off contact. Uh, they both have really impressive contact balance. They're going to break tackles. Uh, I think Najee Harris, he doesn't have the same type of, uh, you know, long speed, uh, the big play potential, but I think he has better uh, short area quickness where he can string together some of those cuts uh, more so than Henry can. So uh, they have, you know, some similarities with their size contact balance, but, also, uh, they, they win in different ways. They have some uh, different strengths with how they run the football. And also in terms of Harris, you mentioned the career rushing yards and the Alabama record there, 3,843 career rushing yards and 46 career rushing touchdowns, both the leader in Alabama history, which is very impressive considering their track record of running backs. And then moving on to ETN, something that stood out to me, and I'm curious as you're an evaluator, what's stands out to you about what I'm about to say that he scored a touchdown in 46 out of 55 career games. And that is an NCAA FBS record talking about Travis Etienne. Yeah. He's, he's one of six players in college football history or FBS history to reach 70 uh, rushing touchdowns in his career. Uh, So, I mean, that's what I'm talking about with that home run. I'm talking about a home run hitter, a guy that's going to give you those, those big plays. Uh, You know, you just look at over his career, 22 plays of 40 plus yards. Najee Harris has two plays of 40 plus yards. Najee Harris, ETN has 22. So, you know, 12 plays of 50 plus yards. Uh, he creates, uh, he, he's got the long speed. He can make guys miss with those speed cuts that he makes. And he, he makes those speed cuts at full speed. He doesn't need to gear down, collect himself, and then make a move. He can make those hard cuts with ease. And so just a really impressive player uh, that you just want to get the ball in his hands and let him create. In terms of ETN, 
you know, again, I'm not trying to compare him to an NFL player that's a very good one in Alvin Kamara, but it feels like they're similar that players just seem to slip off of Travis Etienne, similar to the way players slip off of Alvin Kamara when you think that he will be tackled. Is Travis Etienne, obviously he's he's an elusive player, but do you think that that will translate over to the NFL, given that the defense and the defenders are a level up from college, especially the ACC? Yeah, that, and that's kind of the big question. Um, you know, if you knew that Etienne was going to be a an Alvin Kamara, he'd be go he'd go in the top ten picks. Um, but I think when you look at Etienne, he has kind of a wide linear gait with how he runs. And so he's not the most graceful in terms of redirecting in space like uh, like Kamara is, but he's just so quick with the start stop. I mean, it's just it's so quick, it's effortless. And so I think that start stop, the ability to accelerate to top speed in a blink, that's what really makes him elusive. He can eliminate those pursuit angles as a defender. The last thing you want to do is try to tackle this guy uh, when you have any type of space because he's able to uh, make those hard cuts at full speed. So. Kamara's, I think, a little bit of that short area shiftiness where uh, ETN is just, he's a hard slasher where just let him, uh, you know, use that that gate, that long gate and his speed, and he's going to make you look silly in space. So if Harris and ETN are the two top consensus running backs, no matter how you rank them, who are some of the guys that are in that next tier of running backs? Well, I, I think right after those two guys, uh, and really it's it's a player who's, trying to break in to that top tier is Javante Williams from North Carolina, who uh, is really, really interesting. I think, you know, Kenneth Gainwell from Memphis, I think he's also in that next tier. Two really talented uh, running backs that are very different in what they offer. Javante Williams is a big, powerful back with the way he runs. His broken tackles are everywhere on his tape. He led the FBS this past year in broken tackles. Uh, it led, led the FBS in first down carries. And he's got a really interesting backstory because he was a linebacker most of his life. Uh, high school valedictorian, really smart guy. Uh, you know, thought he was going to Yale at one point to play football. Uh, but, you know, his home state, North Carolina, brought him on. And he just flourished at the running back position. Uh, averaged over six yards per carry this past year. So incredibly strong as a runner and so stout that defenders just fall off of him. It, it, it's just, it's, it looks like, you know, an eighth grader trying to tackle a, a high school senior uh, when you watch his tape. It, it's really impressive. So, you know, he still has room to grow. Like I said, former linebacker, still kind of, you know, learning some of the, the details of the position. Needs to be a more consistent decision maker at the line of scrimmage. But he creates for himself because he has the balance, the power. Uh, he forces defenders to be perfect with their technique in order to get him on the ground. So he's, he's I think, stylistically similar in ways to Leonard Fournette. Not quite as big, but he runs in similar ways. And then I think Gen Kenneth Gainwell, he's also in that mix as being a uh, next-tier running back who's really, really talented, but just in, in a different way. Because I think he, he's, he's obviously smaller, uh, but he's not doesn't have that power, doesn't have that, uh, you know, going to power through contact and uh, create those yards but he'll make you miss. He's really good with his vision in terms of marrying his feet with his eyes, making really quick controlled cuts. Uh, I, I think he's just, he has the decision-making where you can quickly diagnose and find that, that path we can get upfield and attack at second level. Uh, he opted out this past year. And so there's a little bit of, you know, both these guys, Javante Williams and, uh, and, and Gainwell a little bit, you know, they don't have the resumes that an ETN or a Najee Harris have. 
Gainwell was a quarterback in high school. He's a dual threat guy, goes to Memphis, uh, where he redshirts his first year. And then as a redshirt freshman last year in 2019, was just all over the place. I mean, he was a freshman All-American. Uh, you know, he you know led the country in terms of uh, yards from scrimmage. Um, and there's a lot to like about him as a receiver. He looks natural. They, they would line him up at receiver and let him run downfield routes, and he would catch the ball cleanly away from his body. So he is what the NFL is looking for in terms of the do-everything player. Uh, as a backfield player, can uh, motion out play in the slot, motion out wide, and make plays down the field. So both of these uh, guys, Javante Williams, Kenneth Gainwell, they're very different uh, contrasts and styles but both really talented and able to uh, maybe make an immediate impact in the NFL uh, once they're drafted. Let's stick on Gainwell for a minute. How difficult is it to evaluate a player after red shirt, after red shirting, having one year opting out and then projecting that into the NFL? Yeah, no doubt. Uh, because again, he, he was a uh, dual threat uh, quarterback in high school. And so you, you're really not sure, uh, you know, just what he knows, what he doesn't know. Um, so we still have to figure things out with him. Uh, but he made a seamless transition uh, at Memphis. And Antonio Gibson, who had, you know, a, a great rookie year for the Washington football team this past year, uh, Gainwell was so good at running back that they kept Antonio Gibson at receiver in order to have Gainwell get the bulk of the carries in 2019 for that Memphis squad. Um, and just, you know, when you talk about his vision, his cutting skills, uh, his feel for where blocks are developing – I feel pretty good about how he sees the field and how he's going to translate to the next level. So, you know, you wish you were a little bit bigger. You wish you had a little more experience. You wish you played this past year, but you know, I, I and, and because he did not because, you know, he, he doesn't have a lot of usage. Uh, you know, he, he touched the ball less than 300 times in his uh, career at the college level. There are some maybe durability and usage questions about him, but I have no doubt he's going to translate well. And he has some of those instinctive playmaking skills to be a uh, scheme versatile NFL weapon. And so you think he can line up in the backfield and at wide if needed like that. That's where his skill set is kind of like Antonio Gibson. Right. That's where the versatility comes in. You can line him up across the formation. He can run routes out of the backfield, but you can just as well line him up outside and try to get those mismatches. You know, if you're, uh, you know, showing three wide and you put them in motion, you get them lined up with a, a linebacker in the slot. Uh, that That's a recipe for disaster if you're the defense. You have to account for that on every play. And, you know, not just the him getting the ball in his hands, but the threat of him getting the ball in his hands. That's something that will stress defenses. And now let's talk about Javante Williams. You said Leonard Fournette style, a little smaller. He's 5'10", 220. So yeah. that's pretty that's pretty built up for a running back who's 5'10". How's his straight line speed? If, you know, if he hit a hole, is he going the distance or is he getting caught from behind? Uh, I mean, he could do it. He had plenty of big runs on his tape. Uh, you know, he's not the the fastest guy out there. Uh, and he's got a little bit of some tightness in his hips. You, you see that when he's trying to, uh, you know, make some uh, quick movements. But, uh, and I, I think I the think biggest thing I worry about with his speed is it, it'll be tougher for him to win the corner. Uh, when he's running off tackle in the NFL compared to what he saw in the ACC. And so there, there is a little bit of a concern there, but he's going to give you enough big runs uh, because of his ability to break tackles. It's it's really an uncanny thing to watch uh, ACC defenders try to get him on the ground. Uh, you know, they try and try and, you know, there will be plays where he's breaking three, four tackles on one run. It, it's really a sight to see. And then how about some day three running backs that you think, 
could outplay where they get drafted? Well, I think, you know, two immediately come to mind. Uh, first, Trey Sermon at Ohio State. Uh, you know, this is a, a a player who was highly recruited out of Georgia and went, decided to go to Oklahoma, spent the, his first three years there, was pretty productive. He averaged over uh, six yards a carry uh, in his three years for the Sooners. And then kind of looking for a fresh start, he transfers to Ohio State, uh, you know, for his senior year this past season. And, you know, there were a lot of circumstances with, you know, he's coming off a knee injury. Uh, the, obviously COVID and not being able to see as many practice reps and be in the same room with his teammates, uh, you know, learning a new offense, a new system. Uh, I, I think that all played a part in why he he kind of had a slow start to the season. Uh, but once the, the second half of the year came uh, came up, I, he was uh, he was the MVP of that offense, not Justin Fields, not Chris Olave. Uh, you know, Ohio State's loaded on offense, but it was Trey Sermon who was the MVP of their playoff run what he did against Michigan State and then Northwestern and then against Clemson was really remarkable. He had over nine yards of carry during that three-game uh, three stretch. He's uh, really skilled at settling his feet, dropping his hips, making jump cuts, uh, very uh, savvy pass catcher out of the backfield as well. So he's uh, you know, a little upright with, the, with his running style, and that's not going to be a fit for every scheme. But for a team that likes to run outside uh, a zone scheme, he's going to be a quality rotation back. And it's, I think he has some third down value as well. Uh, it, Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech, another guy who I think falls in that category as being an outside zone uh, speed guy. And, uh, another player who transferred for his final year. He was uh, at Kansas for his first, uh, first four years. Then looking for a fresh start, goes to Virginia Tech as a senior. And he blew up. He had over 1,000 yards rushing. Uh, almost eight yards a carry. Uh, he was among the the FBS leaders in yards per carry this past year. Uh, big play waiting to happen because he has that speed. Uh, he can maneuver around uh, you know bodies and make things happen. So uh, a little bit unproven as as a pass catcher and a blocker. And so those are the main reasons why we're talking about a day three player here. But once he gets the ball in his hands, he can make things happen and create. Is it safe to say, given everyone that you've talked about? on this episode that you like the depth of this running back draft class? Yeah, that's fair to say. I mean, this is a uh, a draft class that is not, I don't think the volume is there in terms of, uh, you know, uh, uh, the amount of players that you feel great translating in terms of being maybe NFL starters. Uh, there's not a ton of them, but the ones that you do think can be NFL starters, it's easy to get excited about them. Uh, you know, I, it's not just the two at the top, too. You know, Etienne and Harris, very good players, but they're not the only running backs in this class. Javante Williams uh, and Kenneth Gainwell, what, what they can add to your offense. Michael Carter from North Carolina, Sermon and Herbert, both in that mix. Uh, and, and, you know, there's a few other guys on day three. So this is a running back class that I, I might not have the quantity that you're looking for, uh, just in terms of overall depth, but I think quality is there in terms of what they can do for an NFL offense as, as quickly as a rookie season's. You mentioned Sermon's three games down the stretch. I'm just going to read out the stats of those. Combined 70 attempts, 636 yards in three games for a 9.1 average and four touchdowns. Simply remarkable what Trey Sermon did down the stretch. And when, you know, to me, I'm thinking about Trey Sermon compared to Kenneth Gainwell because Gainwell doesn't have a lot of tape, a lot of tread on the tires. That's the opposite of Trey Sermon. So that's going to be interesting to see what happens down the stretch. And if you want to read more about Dane's top 10 running backs, you got to make sure to check out the article that just came out on The Athletic. And before we hit on 
actually, you know what? Let's actually hit on one more running back in as a part of the, the fan questions. Let me pull it up here. Jets Island wants to know why hasn't Jamar Jefferson gotten any hype? Yeah, a really talented running back uh, out of Oregon State. Uh, you know, he was a little underrated as a recruit. You know, grew up in the you know Southern California, LA area, and uh, you know bounced around, tried to get himself noticed. Oregon State uh, took the chance on him, and he did has done nothing but produce. Uh, and he played his best football this past year as a junior. Uh, just you know, uh, the COVID shortened season, only six games. But when he had a chance uh, to create, he did. Uh, you know, he finished top five in rushing uh, from that program. Uh, you know, I talked about Herbert, how, you know, very skilled at marrying his eyes with his feet. Jefferson's the same way. He can feel those developing rush lanes. He can gather his feet, make those tight cuts, navigate to daylight. Um, he's not the most powerful guy, and, and which is surprising because he's he's listed at 215 pounds. We'll find out uh, just how, you know, the exact measurements. He looks like a decently you know, sized player, but he just doesn't run powerful, but he runs quick. Uh, you know, his, his ability to uh, see what he's to, – to see the what the defense is doing, uh, the, the holes that are developing, and then hit it with that short area quickness uh, is just really impressive. So I think he could be a high-end backup, maybe even push for uh, – to be more once he gets into the right situation. Before we head on to other social media questions, I'm just curious. I asked you this last week about the linebackers. I'm going to ask you about the running backs. When you evaluate the players that are available between all the way up between Najee all the way down to someone like Jefferson, who you just mentioned, is there a player that stands out to you that you think would be a good fit for the Jets in terms of their style, in terms of where the Jets select, whether that's Two, 23, 34, 87. I mean, it, that does not matter. Fourth, fifth round. And also what kind of scheme the Jets are running with this Mike LaFleur offense. I, really, the guy we just mentioned, Jefferson, uh, it makes some sense. Uh, when you look at, you know, obviously there's some things we need to learn about this Jets offense. But, you know, traditionally thinking about that Shanahan style offense, you're looking for guys with vision guys with quickness, guys that are not going to waste time in the backfield. You know, the, the hole is going to be presented to them. They're going to see it, hit it, cut it, and go. Uh, and I, so I think Jefferson might fit uh, because he moves well laterally. He can sidestep traffic uh, without gearing down. He's very adept at scanning and then being decisive at the line of scrimmage, you know. And that's what I think the Jets are going to want. They're going to want some speed and a guy that can hit the hole with timing so he can even just a sliver of daylight – he can hit it, work off the hip of blockers, uh, and then maintain that speed at the second level so he can be a, a guy that creates. Uh, and then also with Jefferson, he's got soft hands out of the backfield. He caught 43 uh, balls uh, over his three years uh, for the Beavers. So I think uh, 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 Jefferson, Jamar Jefferson, is a player that might fit. And when we think about this uh, this offense, they don't have to use a first-round running back to get a guy like that. They could probably get Jefferson early day three. All right. So now let's move on from the running backs. Let's talk about some receivers. Keep it on offense. Rich wants to know who are some of the best slot receivers with Twitch, especially those that can be drafted in the third round or later, and then specifically asks about Daz Newsom. So I'm going to rephrase this question. You can give us your thoughts on Daz Newsom, but then who do you like as a twitchy slot receiver or just as a slot receiver? in rounds or in day, should I say one, two, and three? 
Well, Daz Newsom's a really fun player. Uh, you know, we we talked about his two teammates uh, a little bit uh, with Javante Williams and uh, Michael Carter, the two running backs, uh, and Deami Brown, uh, the North Carolina wide receiver, has a chance to be a top 75 draft pick in this class. So, you know, those three guys are going to be drafted ahead of Daz Newsom. But Newsom's a quality player in his own right. Uh, he, he's he's short, but he's solid. He looks almost like a running back out of the out of the the slot. Uh, really good feel for route angles. So you know he can uh, you know whether it's a simple slant or a post. Uh, the, these different things. I mean, he he understands how to get open. He's got toughness to work the middle of the field. And then as a ball carrier, he's got a little bit of juice to him. So, you know, he can eliminate those pursuit angles and, uh, you know, maximize each play. I don't think that he's necessarily the most twitchy uh, wide receiver out there, but he's just a really solid player that's somewhere in the late rounds, uh, but, you know, might be able to find a home as a slot receiver. But this draft, it's it's loaded at slot receiver. So uh, a slot receiver on each day, I think if you're looking on day one, uh, you know, it's it's got to be Kadarius Tony out of Florida. The start-stop twitch he offers is just, it's special. And it makes him a tough cover for anybody. Uh, NFL teams, they're looking for that one-step explosion, and that's what Tony offers. Uh, on day two, I think you're looking at maybe Purdue's Rondale Moore, somewhere second, third round. He's got those quick twitch muscle fibers, uh, the controlled burst the loose body movements that allows him to just stick his foot in the ground and go. So he can create those pockets of separation Uh, with Rondale Moore. Most of his receiving yards came after the catch and that's what he can do uh, at the next level. And then on day three, uh, a guy that, you know, really stands out to me both in the stat sheet and then on tape, North Texas is Jalen Darden, uh, explosive twitchy receiver. He can make things happen with the ball in his hands. Only Devontae Smith and Amari Rogers had more receiving yards after the catch in 2020 than him. So he's small. He's very small. He's about 5'7", 175, 180 pounds. But could he be this year's maybe Jaheim Grant, you know, provide immediate juice on offense and special teams? Uh, that that might fit. All right. I take it a little slot receiver talk on the running backs episode of NFL Draft Preview. Okay. So let's wrap this up with kind of a general question. Paul wants to know, will we have any risers and fallers this draft process the same way that we would in the past, even though there is no NFL combine and we have limited pro days and limited exposure to the pro days for each NFL team. Yeah. And this is an unprecedented year. So I, I, you know, I think, you know, just talking to general managers and talking to scouts around the, uh, around the league even they don't aren't sure exactly how this is going to play out uh, just in terms of, you know, their process and what they're used to doing. So I think more than ever, there's going to be an emphasis on the tape and scouts and teams focusing. Okay. This is what we know, as opposed to maybe, maybe being swayed by what happens in Indianapolis or, you know, it's something that, you know, it, it's an opportunity for groupthink when you get all these guys together and they're debating, you know, trading notes and debating what they think about these players um, but you know what? This is the draft process. And so I still think there's going to be perceived risers and fallers. And so, you know, there might be a team that's very high in a player that we're not talking about right now. Uh, and, you know, generally is not viewed as a draftable player. But if one team views this player as draftable, then that's all that matters. And so, you know, we could see risers in that fashion. Um, and I think there's always players that will pop up late, you know, maybe at a pro day. Uh, where you know teams are going to Ohio State because they want to see 
you know, all, all the players that Ohio State is going to have, you know, you know, whether it's going to be, uh, you know, Josh Myers or Wyatt Davis or, uh, you know, all, all the prospects the Buckeyes have every year. But maybe there's a small, uh, lesser known player uh, that might be able to jump out uh, at them and, you know, run a good time in the 40 or have a great workout. That's all it takes. And a team could maybe uh, fall in love. And all of a sudden, we're talking about him being a riser. Uh, in terms of fallers, you know, I, I think this is kind of how it how it works every year. But I think those are going to be based more on the medicals and the character questions. And this year, more that might be especially more true when you talk about character because no team visits this year. Um, you know, there's going to be no chance to take these guys out for dinner the day before a pro day or, you know, there's no private workouts, things like that. Uh, that's really where teams have a chance to get to know the person and whether or not he'd be a fit. So the steps that teams usually rely on uh, to get to know these guys, it, it's just not going to happen. And so some teams might not be comfortable with some of the baggage and that might you know, create them to pass on a guy. And so because of that, that could cause some of these guys to fall a little bit further than maybe what the talent says or what we're talking about right now. And as players do rise or fall throughout this unprecedented process, we'll check in with Dane every you know, every month or so, I'd say, see whose stock has improved on his big board, whose stock has fallen. We'll cover everything. And next week, we're talking about safeties on NFL Draft Preview with the Athletics' Dane Brugler. Dane, stay warm, stay safe, and we'll talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Ethan. Thanks, Ethan.